The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. And so today I want to take us into a text. We referenced it last week, and so I want to dive a little bit deeper into that today. And that text is John chapter 1. And so if you could take your Bibles and turn in them, if you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1,645. Now whenever somebody moves into um, the neighborhood, there are always certain things that I start to immediately pay attention. Like as soon as the, yard, the for sale sign goes up in the yard... I start to try to make some observations, and maybe you've done this before. Uh, I'm like immediately, you got to start to figure out. Um, you have to figure out, all right, which car belongs to the real estate agent, which car belongs to potential buyers, which car belongs to the parents of those potential buyers, because you have to start to figure out, like, if somebody's moving in, what's that going to do? Right? You, you need to figure out like, what kind of neighbors are they going to be. Are they going to cut their lawn? Where are they going to park their car? Like, what kind of, what, and are they going to have kids? How many kids are they going to have? And are the kids going to be the right ages? Are they going to be kids you want your kids to hang out with? Now, some of you, what you probably do, some of you might be the kind of people who you like make cookies, right? And, but you make cookies not to give them a warm welcome. You, you, you make cookies so that you can like, peek in their house to see the kind of stuff they have. No, that, that is not my style. I'm a little bit more introverted, and so I don't, really, I don't really want to meet the neighbors. I just want to know about the neighbors. And so my approach is I would ask you to tell me what you found out about the neighbors. Um, so I don't have to talk to them, but I can know are they the kind of people um, that will impact our neighborhood positively. And so we do this, though, because when somebody moves in, when somebody shows up, it changes things. It changes relationships, it changes the community, it changes the neighborhood, and it can be either a good change or a bad change. And so we start to try to observe what happens when this person shows up. In the book of John, when John writes for us about the arrival of Jesus, he is making some observations in order to tell us, here's what happens when God shows up. Here's what happens when God takes on human flesh and he moves into town. Here is the way that it impacts you, your neighbors, your families, your coworkers, your communities. Because when Jesus shows up, right, it, it makes an impact. And so I want to spend a little bit of time reading in John chapter 1. Now, one of the things I love about John's approach to telling the story of Jesus is John is a little bit more artsy about it. So Luke, he's an investigator, and, he, and so he will, he's asking questions, and he's interviewing people to get, the, get all the facts straight and tell the story of Jesus in an orderly fashion. John doesn't do any of that. He just takes out a paintbrush and starts painting this picture. And, and so you get all this poetry and this language, but he does it in a way that makes some interesting connections but it doesn't really sound so much like the Christmas story. Yet at the same time, this is exactly the story that John is telling. And so I want to read a bit of this, and we'll spend some time digging into it. John writes in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. Now there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He's referring to John the Baptist. He, he came as a witness to testify concerning the light 
so that through him all men might believe. He himself, John, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light, Jesus, that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. In in other words, Jesus moved into town, but people didn't realize quite how much Jesus was actually changing things for them until much later. Let's skip to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, when Jesus shows up, there's really no avoiding Jesus. Like when Jesus moves into town, you kind of have to deal with Jesus. And so what John observes about Jesus is when Jesus shows up, we we see the glory. In in other words, eventually, like people see quite that there's something that's happened. There's something significant going on. And what John says that Jesus brings with him is grace and truth. See, when Jesus shows up, it makes an impact on everybody. And now they don't notice it right away. They don't realize it, right? John, John says this, that, that, even, that the people around, they don't really recognize him. But, but what John wants us to understand is that there's something significant about what Jesus has come to do that changes everything. Eugene Peterson actually describes verse 14 and his paraphrase of this text. And he says it this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Right? In, in other words, the word became flesh and blood. The word is Jesus. God became flesh and blood. He became human. He became one of us. And he moved into the neighborhood. That neighborhood is humanity. It's earth. And so Jesus, like us, he was a human. He was a baby. He, was, he became a toddler. He became a teenager. He got hungry. He got hurt. He cried. He went to the bathroom. Right? He was a real human being. He knew what it was like. To worry. He knew what it was like to grow up. And so John paints this picture of Jesus, right? He's flesh and blood, and he, and he arrives. He moves in. Now, John is doing something interesting, though, because he is an artist. He's making some connections when he uses these words. And so one of the connections that, that John makes is this word dwelling. And so when Jesus moves into the neighborhood, John literally would translate it at the, the, what we say dwelling is also the translation for the word tabernacle. And so Tony referenced this a bit last week. And it's significant because what John wants to do as an artist, right, he wants to, he wants to paint this picture. But then there are, there's like stories underneath the story. And so when John says that he made his dwelling, he's making these connections to, to all of this history that God has worked in through, throughout generations. And so for the Israelites who, who are familiar with God and what God came to do, they know, right, there was a time, right, that, that there was a tabernacle. That was the way that God showed up. And so in Exodus, it, it describes for the Israelites details of what it looks like, how to build the tabernacle and where it is. And so the Exodus actually describes that the tabernacle was put up outside the camp. And so this was the place, right? There was rules. There was the way it was supposed to look. There were sacrifices. There were only where people could go and who could go where in the tabernacle. Same, same kind of thing with the temple that, that in, in the Hebrew scriptures, the Israelites would know that God wants to be near his people, but God is a holy God and people are sinful people. And because God can't tolerate sin, there have to be some rules and regulations and ways to go about this whole system. And so John is trying to make some connections here. 
connections to show us that, 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 that the same God of the Hebrew scriptures is the God who comes now. But there are some things different in how we understand what he's come to do. And so he makes these connections to the place where God made his presence known. Now, th- now this is the kind of place, like people who got to experience worshiping God, like they knew this was significant. And what's so amazing here is what John, what John begins to do when he talks about the word became flesh and it pitched a tabernacle and it did it among us. What John's pointing out is Jesus doesn't show up outside the camp. He actually pitches a tent inside the neighborhood. Which if you're familiar with the way that God has, has worked, like that, that might throw you off a little bit. Right, you might start to have questions because there were all the sacrifices and there were, and there were the rituals and the traditions and there was the, the temple and there's the tabernacle. Like, what, what about that? And John says, oh, oh this is the same God, but, but he's showing up right here. And so for, for the Israelites, right, they grow up and they're familiar with the idea of the dwelling place of God where God shows up. They would even, they would even sing and worship about it. In Psalm 84 It uses this language when it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. This is the kind of feeling that they had when they knew, all right, God's going to show up. And so they're they're waiting and longing. They're like, I can't wait to have that kind of experience. I can't wait to be in the presence of God. I can't wait to be where I know God promises to be and promises to do something and to be active. A bit later in Psalm 84, it says, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. In other words, these these Hebrews who would sing about it, they they would say, there's nothing I've ever experienced like when God shows up. And so John says to people who know that and have that kind of longing, that kind of ache to be in the presence of God, he says, the tabernacle is right here. Inside the neighborhood, which I got to imagine like people at that moment are like, wait, wait a second, John, like, like, hold, hold on, just like, are you set, like not outside the camp, like inside the neighborhood, like, do you know what kind of neighborhood I live in? Like, do you know what happens on that corner, on that street? Or do you know the kind of things that get said in their house and in, in this house? Like, do you know the kind of brokenness? That's going on in this town, in this city. And and John's like, I I know exactly what's going on in that neighborhood. But the holy God who can't tolerate sin, can't tolerate it so much so that he, he was not content to be outside the camp. But he actually shows up in the midst of it to do something in the neighborhood. And so John wants to help us get this picture of a God who shows up here among us. Not some other place that we need to get to, that we need to go to, but right in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the sin, in the midst of the brokenness. Now, this picture that John creates of the, ta- of the tabernacle and the dwelling, I think is helpful not just because of the connections to um, the language in the Old Testament, but I also think there are some connections to how we um, could actually understand the word, how we would translate it today. And so this word, dwelling, is, is a tent, and so the word became flesh and it pitched a tent among us. Or the tent was, was put up in our own neighborhood. And so I want you to think for a second, like, like what does it look like if God moves into town? 
Because when most people move into town, you have some time to prep for it. Like you see the sign, you can evaluate, you know what's going to happen. You see the moving truck come in. You can see the kind of stuff that comes out of the moving truck. And you can start to figure out something about the person who moves into town. But when Jesus shows up, like he comes in this broken, beat up, broken down car. And he gets out of the car with a tent in one hand and maybe a small piece of luggage in the other hand. And so he, he gets out of this car, and he parks that car like right in front of your house, and he goes to the front yard, and he puts up a tent in your yard. Like, what do you do in that moment? Like, it's not even another house. Like, like if, if it's another house, I can at least avoid Jesus. I can get in the garage, shut the garage right behind me. I don't have to deal with it. But if he's in my yard, I, have, I can't avoid Jesus. Like, and, and, and that's part of the reality of what Jesus has come to do. He, he comes and he makes his presence in our neighborhood, and there's not really avoiding Jesus. And maybe some of you have actually felt like that. Like, maybe you're a guest, and, like, you've tried to avoid Jesus as long as possible, but somebody here, like, kept nagging you, like, come on, you got to come to church, you got to come to church. And they're like, I just need to get them off my back. i got to go to church so they stop asking me. And so, like, some of you felt like, I, I want to avoid Jesus, but, like, i got to at least do something to deal with it and move on. Like, even, like, if Jesus is in your yard, like, eventually he's going to see you. Like, eventually he's going to talk to you. Like, he's going to catch you when you're at the mailbox. Or, like, eventually he's going to have to go to the bathroom. So he's going to come knocking on the door. And he can only go in the bushes so many times. And so when he comes knocking on the door, like, what are you going to do? You can't make him, you can't make him, like, go somewhere else. Like, so you got to let Jesus in. And he's going to start to see some stuff. He's going to see your house. He's going to see your relationships. He's going to start to hear when you argue. He's going to see when you come home and when you leave. He's going to see when the kids sneak out. Right? He's going to start to see some things. Like, and it might even happen. Like, it's, maybe this has happened for you. Like, your kids might start to like Jesus before you do. Like, so your kids might go outside, and Jesus is kind of fun. So they start playing. They make snow angels with Jesus in the front yard. And so, and so like, your kids are hanging out with Jesus. And you're like, I don't even want to talk to that guy. I don't even like that guy. But your kids like that guy. Right? And, and, and we've heard this story before, like your kids start coming to church and they start going to Sunday school or they're, they're in, in, in the student ministry and your kids start to like Jesus and so you start to come around because it's kind of good for them, but you're not really in the whole Jesus thing and then suddenly you start to be in the whole Jesus thing. Because there's not really avoiding Jesus when he shows up and he puts a tent in your yard. And so when Jesus is in your yard, what he can do is he can start to get to know you. And he starts to see the hurt. He starts to see the pain. He starts to talk to you. And because he's right there, it's easy for him to have access. It's easy for him to know what he needs to say and when he needs to say it. See, when Jesus shows up, he speaks. When Jesus shows up in the neighborhood, when he shows up at your house, when he shows up at your door, he shows up with words. John tells us he shows up with grace and truth, which means some of those words might be hard words, some of those words might be words that are convicting, or words that need to change, words that Jesus points out some things that, that aren't true of you, that could be better about you. But he also shows up with grace. Grace that always forgives. Grace that always looks favorably at you. Grace that always has mercy. And so Jesus shows up speaking these words. And so John says about Jesus as the word, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Now John, because he's a poet, right, he's making some connections. And so he's saying in the beginning, just like Moses said about Genesis, in the beginning. 
Because it's in the beginning that what happens, words get spoken. And it's in the beginning where that John refers to that the word comes. And see, what we know about the word, just like it was in the beginning, the word of God, it creates. It does something. Jesus, as the word, when he speaks, something happens. Because it's a, it's a powerful, life-giving, world-creating word. When Jesus speaks, things change. When Jesus says, let it be, it is. When Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they are. When Jesus says you're a new creation, you are actually new. The Apostle Paul writes about this power by, by saying it a little bit differently. And, and he says it this way. In him, Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. And so when Jesus shows up in your neighborhood, this is that kind of God, the all-powerful God who created all things, who has power over all things, who can speak things into existence. And that God shows up to talk to you, to speak something into existence for you, to change things for you. And so he draws close in the moments of pain because he's close by. He draws close in the moments of doubt and confusion because he's right there and so he knows it. He draws close even when you say the worst kinds of things and he draws close because he's there. And he speaks words that change everything. And so when Jesus shows up and when he pitches a tent in your neighborhood and he, and he shows up speaking, his words bring life and light into the neighborhood. His words bring what nothing else can bring. See, John says it this way, that in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so when this tent shows up in your yard, Jesus shows up speaking words of life and light. And so he's seen the hurt, he's seen the death, he's, he's seen the heartache, and he speaks words of life, life that can't be defeated by death, life that can't be stopped by anything that you're up against, and he speaks words of light, and he knows the kind of darkness you're in, he knows the, the hurt, he knows the evil, he knows the brokenness in this world, and he brings light that can't be overcome by the darkness. See, what John tells us about Jesus' arrival in the neighborhood is that he brings life and light. Life that can't be defeated by death. Life that can't be destroyed. And he brings light that can't be overcome by the darkness. And so when Jesus shows up in the neighborhood of Bethlehem, we see this begin. And Jesus over and over and over again proves that. He proves that he brings life to the dead places. He proves that he brings light into the dark places. He heals. He raises the dead. He gives sight to the blind. He frees the captives. And there's always something in the way of Jesus what, doing what he wants to do. Right At, at one point, um, at, at one point there, there's a, gr a mob that actually is trying to get Jesus stoned. Um, not 21st century stoned, like 1st century stoned. They're trying to stone Jesus. Um, so, some of you will get that later. Um, 
there, there's a mob that wants to, to, to actually stone Jesus. And Jesus, the, the crowd's there, and he just, like, actually tries to, he just walks his way right through the crowd. Like, they don't stop him. Another point, there are actually some soldiers who, who come to arrest Jesus, um, and, the, and the soldiers end up in awe of Jesus. Herod wants Jesus dead, it, like when Jesus is a baby, and so God shows up and he gives another plan, and Jesus, like, grows up. Even when John is writing the Gospel of John, like, he's writing it in a time of opposition and persecution because nobody wants this message to get out. Yet the message gets out. Because the life and the light that Jesus brings can't be stopped. They can't be stopped by any death. They can't be stopped by his own death. No amount of death can stop the life. And no amount of darkness can overcome the light. Think about it this way. Like, see, see, here's... You know what the worst kind of, you know what the worst decorating experience is? Like, I, I don't know if you've had this. It's, you, when you put up Christmas lights, like, this, this happens to me every, every year. So I put up Christmas lights, and, and inevitably, as soon as you get all the Christmas lights up, one of the bulb goes out, right? One, like, you get the whole tree decorated, and you're finally ready to turn the lights on, and half the tree is not lit up. Right, I was actually sharing this yesterday, um, and so I was sharing, like, you, like, oh, like it's this time of year, inevitably, a week before Christmas, I, do, I get all the lights on the house, um, and then inevitably, like a week before Christmas, like half the lights on the roof go out. I go out this morning, I'm not kidding, I go out this morning, and the lights are still on, they didn't turn off yet for the day, I look at the roof, half the lights went out. They weren't, it wasn't that way the night before. Like, God has a sense of humor, like, oh, you're going to talk about this, I'm going to make it reality. And so... But, but, and, and I've tried the things, like, I've tried the things that you do to make this, to like, make this not happen, to fix it. Like, I've tried replacing the bulb, and but those, those bulbs, like, they destroy your fingertips, right? You try to get those bulbs out, um, and even when you, when you do, like, you rip the bulb off, and, the, like, the, re- the insides are still in the socket. Or you get one of those magic guns, right? You know what I'm, the little red magic gun that's supposed to, like, work wonders? But it only works, like, one out of a hundred times. And so you try, but the lights still stay dark. And so I've adopted, some of you may, may have a similar strategy. I've adopted what I call the just buy more lights strategy, right? So you just, you just throw them out every year. The day after Christmas, lights go on sale. You just stock up because you're going to have to pitch them all anyways the next year. So you don't have to deal with it at least until about six days before Christmas. Then you're going to have lights again that, that are out. But here, and here's where, why I share this. I think darkness in our world often feels the same way. So I think what happens with, with darkness in our world is that one thing happens and suddenly the whole strand goes dark. Like you have, like, it's, a, it's one sin. You, 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 you ruin one relationship and suddenly you feel like everything's just falling apart. Like that, that one heartache, that one loss, and suddenly the whole thing. Like suddenly you don't know how to wake up in the morning. Like that, that one experience and suddenly it's all much harder than it was before. Like you, 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 you see one act, one, th- one example of evil in this world and suddenly for you the whole thing has gone dark. You're like, what's happened? 
Like this, this is the same reason why like, like sometimes Christmas can be really hard because it can, be, it can be even be years since that happened, but like one song comes on the radio and it reminds you of it all and suddenly, right, it's like somebody just turned that light bulb off and the whole strand went dark. Like suddenly that one person, that, that, the grocer at the grocery store made one comment and they didn't mean to say anything, but they said the thing the wrong way and suddenly it reminded you of all this other pain and suddenly like the whole strand went dark. That's why John says what he says about Jesus' arrival in the neighborhood. Because when Jesus shows up, he brings light into those kind of places, that kind of heartache, that kind of evil, that kind of sin. And see, what most of us do is we try to come up with ways to get rid of the darkness. We try to come up with solutions to solve the problem. We try to figure out a way to, to put the light bulb back on, to get it lit back up. Like, like, I think of, like, when, when, when my basement floods, like, I immediately get into problem-solving mode. And so I walk down the stairs, I start throwing stuff up, I try to start bailing out the water. And a lot of us treat darkness that same way. But here's the problem, you can't bail your way out of the darkness. You can't start removing the bad bulbs of darkness. You can't just get your way out of the darkness by taking out all the dark parts. You will never get rid of the darkness by trying to remove the darkness. You only remove the darkness by turning on the light. And so when John says the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us, what John tells us is that when Jesus shows up in the neighborhood, the light switch gets turned on. And that light lights up the strand, and that light chases away the darkness. And that light reaches into the darkest places. It reaches into the depths of, of the darkness in our own hearts. It reaches every corner, every sin, every thought. And that light chases out the darkness. And that light chases down the darkness in our neighborhood, the darkness in our world, and it reaches every corner doing what nothing else can. Jesus chases that darkness away. See, this is why John would also write in 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What John is telling us is, is you, don't, you don't have to try to remove the darkness, just just live with the lights on. Because the, the light of the world has come. He's, he's here. He's arrived. And so trust. Believe that Jesus, the light of the world, shows up. And when you trust that, when you believe that, that light, it starts to seep into those dark places. And it starts to do something. This is why John says, right, the sun cleanses us from all sin. Because that light chases out the darkness of our sin. And what it will also do, John's pointing out, it changes our relationships with one another. Because as, God, as God's light gets into those dark places, it begins to see the way that we see things. Because the way you see things in the light is a lot different than the way you see things in the dark. And when Jesus lights up those dark places, he cleanses you from your sin and he changes the way you relate to one another. And so you can try to figure out how to bail your way out of the darkness. You can figure out how to try to solve the problem or you can trust Jesus to do what you can't. You can trust Jesus to chase out the darkness. In the way that Jesus does that, 
is by moving into the neighborhood, by showing up with life and light, and by speaking words that do exactly what they say, words that bring life, and words that bring light where you need it the most. As we close our time together, we're going to take an opportunity to pray an opportunity to confess our sin. And as we do this, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of moment where we can actually experience the very thing that we talk about today, God's words doing exactly what they say. That when God speaks, something happens. And so what we, what we have the opportunity to do is hear God speak to us, that God is present. He shows up and he brings his light into the world. And he brings that light as he speaks to you. And so when he says you're forgiven, you really are. When he says this is my body, this is my blood, it is. And it is actually for you. And so we're going to take some time to confess and to hear words from God himself, words that will bring light into your life. Jesus, we come to you today as people who sin, as people who fall short, as people who need you. And so we pray that you would hear us in these moments and that in all the darkness and the, the, the broken places in our life that you would give life that you would bring light. I pray that you would help us to trust, to help us to believe, to believe that you are good, to believe that you are greater, to believe that you love, that you forgive, and that you do what we can't. And so, Jesus, we pray in this moment that you would hear us, that you would hear us as we confess our sin, that you would hear us as we confess the dark places in our life, the places we've seen, the places we've been, the things we said and the things we've done. Hear us now as we confess these to you. Jesus took on flesh as light of the world to chase out the darkness in your life. And he chases out that darkness with the power of his word, his word that says to you today that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.